Several years ago, one of our leaders came to me and asked me a personal question. And uh, really, it's not only a personal question, but nobody ever asked me that question before. But not only that, I never thought anybody would even notice that. But since I confessed it to him, I'm going to confess it to you. And his question to me was very simple. He said, are you a shy person? And I kind of was taken back. (laughs) After I kind of hummed and ahed, I said, yeah, as a matter of fact, I am. In fact, when I was a boy, as soon as I heard visitors coming at the door, I ran all the way to the back room and hid. My father used to Try to threaten to bring me out there if I, if I don't come there by myself. And um, I know that in some way, at least some of you who would see me standing in public and speaking boldly and sometimes loudly, <laughs> and you would think, you know, how can a naturally shy boy or person be in public ministry? But it is true. I am far from being outgoing, gregarious person. I would like to bend, but that's not my lot in life. And then, through a series of circumstances totally out of my control, back in my early life, I was forced, I was pushed into doing what does not come naturally to me. Do things that I would rather not do, because given my druthers, I would rather be in the background somewhere. Not only that, but... Uh, Coupled with that is my feeling, deep feeling, and conscious feeling of my own inadequacy. I'm continuously conscious of my own weakness and failures and frailties. I'm also aware of the fact that because of the multiplicities of the tasks that God somehow chose to place on my plate... I tend to be kind of an absent-minded professor at times. I can be looking at a person, but actually not seeing the person. I remember somebody was saying to me, he said, but you were looking at me. I said, well, that doesn't make any difference. (laughs) I wasn't seeing you. Don't ask me how I do that. And I wondered at times why, in my early times in the ministry particularly, why would God take such a private person and thrust him into very public ministry? As I told you, given my druthers, probably I would be the first one to volunteer working in the kitchen or at the nursery because I love children so much. Why would God take a shy boy and commission him to proclaim the message of eternal life? Why? Why would God take someone who is deeply conscious of his own inadequacies and give him a platform? And that question had troubled me for a long time. But what helped me back in 1975 was the beginning of help. Before I was ordained, a few days before my ordination, the Archbishop of Sydney back then took all the candidates for ordination into a few days retreat out in the country, and he brought a prominent Bible teacher to lead us in a special time of Bible study and devotions and recommitment of our lives to the ministry. And the text of this man was 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16, and he expounded very, very eloquently on those words that the Apostle Paul literally says them, speaks them in a cry form. Who is adequate? Some of your translations have said, who is sufficient? Who is adequate for these things? Who is adequate for the task 
of sharing the good news of Christ? And the answer is no one. Who is adequate for the task of warning people of the judgment that is coming upon the world? The answer is no one. And as I reflected upon these words of the Apostle Paul during those few days, I began to say to myself, if the great Apostle Paul felt inadequate, if the man who have seen the resurrected Christ on the road to Damascus, if the man who was commissioned by the Lord Jesus Christ to take the gospel to the Gentiles, if he felt inadequate, it's okay for me to feel inadequate. Because I think just about all of us will relate to this one. Because just about all of us, in one way or another, feel inadequate about sharing Christ with others. All of us, in some way, feel inadequate about witnessing to the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Just about all of us, at some, and in some sense and in some way, feel inadequate about telling someone that Jesus and Jesus alone can save them from eternal condemnation and from eternal torment. And that is why sometimes God often pushes us out of our nest. That is why sometimes God, and more often, pushes us out of our comfort zone, which we don't like. That is why God often has to push us into the privilege of speaking to others about Him. And that is why God often has to place us in a situation where we have no choice but to depend on Him and Him alone. That is why God often presents us with opportunities that are designed to stretch us to depend on Him and Him alone. Not long ago, I read a story that absolutely fascinated me. And reminded me of that time in my life, a story about a king, a very powerful king who had a beautiful daughter. And all the young men in the kingdom basically want to marry his beautiful daughter. But he didn't think much of them, uh, just like most fathers of daughters do. <laughs> Nobody's ever good enough for your daughter. And um, he said that he thought they were not really courageous enough. They're not strong enough. They're not brave enough. So finally, one day he decided to test them. He built a pool. And he filled it with alligators. And then he invited all the young men in the kingdom. And he said to them, he said, Now whoever can swim from one end of this pool to the other, not only take my daughter's hand in marriage, but can have half of my kingdom. Well, he just barely finished speaking, and there was a loud splash. And they looked, and there was a young man who was thrashing as fast as he could, fighting three alligators and swimming to the other side of the pool. The king was absolutely amazed. He was mesmerized. So he walked to the other side of the pool as soon as this breathless young man comes out. And, and he said, young man, he said, I have never seen such brevity, such courage. And, and I have no choice but to let you have my daughter in marriage and give you half of my kingdom. And the breathless young man said, that's all well and good, but I want to find the guy who pushed me into that pool. <laughs> <laughs> you see, sometimes for our good and God's glory, He pushes us into the pool with alligators. Which brings me to the fourth secret of the Apostle Paul for positive living. And today's secret is overcoming your natural timidity. We saw the first secret, it was grasping and practicing 
the inflow-outflow equation. That as the Lord comforts you, that you would comfort others. The second secret we saw is taking hold of that precious deposit. It's not 10%, it is a full 100% deposit. Then we saw the third secret for positive living, and it was the practice of forgiveness. And today, I want you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and look at the fourth of Paul's secret for positive living. And I'm going to kind of begin with the end. I want you to look at verse 12, because that really is a significant part of that whole principle. In verse 12 of chapter 3, the apostle Paul said, Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Now, wait a minute. You say, what is, what's going on here? He just, at the end of chapter 2, he just said, who is adequate? Who is sufficient? And the answer is no one, including himself. What led him to this boldness? <laughs> what caused the Apostle Paul to be an overcomer of natural timidity? In the first part of chapter 3, you get the answer. And the Apostle Paul gives us basically two steps that led to boldness. There are two reasons that took him from timidity to boldness. That took him from saying, I am inadequate to saying, we are very bold. Two steps. That took him from inadequacy to courage, from timidity to boldness, uh, from wanting to hide somewhere to publicly proclaiming the good news, from fear to faith. Two steps. Number one, it was his willingness to totally rely on God and in the power of his message. Secondly, it was his willingness to speak the whole truth, not just partial truth. Overcoming timidity is more than propping yourself up and saying, I can do it, I can do it, I can do it. Well, you can try that, and you might even succeed. <laughs> but it is temporary at best. The whole positive thinking movement, as we have been seeing in the last few messages, it's temporary at best. But positive living is not only permanent, but it will go with you all the way to eternity. Paul said in verse 2, that mere words, whether they are spoken words, whether they are written words, can be dead words. They do not quicken the dead spirits and make them alive. The most eloquent of people, they may be able to mesmerize others, but they can never, never, never see lives changed. Only the power of the Holy Spirit of God can open the blind spiritual eyes. Only the power of the Holy Spirit of God can change lives. Only the power of the Holy Spirit of God can convert souls. Only the power of the Holy Spirit of God 
can do the impossible. Only the power of the Holy Spirit of God can cause a person to recognize that he or she is a sinner, and they're heading straight for judgment, and they desperately need salvation. Only the power of the Holy Spirit of God that took Paul's simple, weak, and inadequate words and turned them into arrows that penetrate deep into the hearts of men and women. Only the power of the Holy Spirit of God that took timid and inadequate words and turned them into sparks that let out fire. Only the power of the Holy Spirit can take the words of the good news and cause them to penetrate deep, convicting and becoming life-changing. I want you to hear me right. This is very important. Because of His confidence in the power and the authenticity of the message, Paul could live positively, courageously, and boldly in the midst of tough times. Because of the power of his message, Paul could live above the obstacle, above the persecution, above the imprisonment, above the beating, and above all discouragement. Because of the power of the message, Paul could confidently not focus on his limitations, but on the limitless power of God. Not focus on his personal inadequacy, but on the sufficiency of the message that he proclaimed. Not focus on the lack of his lack of confidence, but on the giver of all confidence. Not focus on his weakness, but the giver of all strength. Not focus on his liabilities, but in the assets of the gospel message. Not focus on the, his own lack of resources, but in the abundance of the one who said to him, Go. That's the first secret. Look with me at verse 5. Here's what he said. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from where? God. Uh, Let me speak to all of you, my fellow timid souls out there. If you identify with me, those of you who are hesitant, those of you who are living in fear and timidity. Listen to me. The effectiveness of your witness, the effectiveness of who you are as a child of the King of Kings is not in your title or in your position. Your effectiveness is not in rituals and ceremony. Your effectiveness, according to the Apostle Paul, is not in systems and procedures. Your effectiveness is not in strategy and planning. Your effectiveness is not in trying to keep the rules by yourself because that is why Paul goes on to say, we cannot be saved by keeping the rules simply because none of us can keep them with our own power, with our own strength. No one except Jesus could keep all the commandments all the time, perfectly. No matter how disciplined you might think you are, the Bible is very clear. One white lie, you broke all the commandments. See, one breaks them all. You say, that's impossible. That's exactly what the commandments are supposed to do, that you can't keep them perfectly on your own strength. I can never keep them perfectly in my own strength. Only through the power of the Holy Spirit of God can we do that. 
So to overcome timidity, the first step Paul said, you've got to be willing to function totally under the power of God and His message. We live in such secular-minded society that we think of the assets and liabilities and the limitations. We have ceased to think as children of the King of Kings. That is our problem and the problem of the church of Jesus Christ. And Paul said, you cannot overcome timidity unless you understand the power of the Word. Do you know that Paul said to the Ephesians that the very power that raised Jesus from the dead is working in you? How many of you thought about this yesterday, the day before? Secondly, to overcome timidity, you have to be willing to speak the whole truth. You know why timid people basically want to say what they think the other person wants to know, wants to hear? Because they want to be liked. So they will say whatever they think is going to please you, even if it is not the full truth. But to fully experience the power of positive living, you have to be willing to be misunderstood. You have to be willing to risk being misunderstood. You have to be willing to risk being misinterpreted deliberately. You have to be willing to risk rejection of your message. You have to be willing to say, I will speak the whole truth and nothing but the truth, so help me God. That does not mean rudeness. It does not mean belligerence. It does not mean pride. It does not mean egotism. It does not mean self-commendation. No. Look at Paul's example. Now, Paul is dealing with a very, very delicate matter because it was a matter of life and death. It could have killed the entire church in the city of Corinth. That's how delicate it is. What was it? Well, his critics were saying, Paul does not believe in the Ten Commandments anymore. And the sad part is so many of the members of the church in Corinth believed that. Paul doesn't believe in the Ten Commandments. So Paul takes in, takes the time to gingerly tell the whole truth without compromise. You see, like today's world, when you say that Jesus and Jesus alone is the very way to heaven, when you say that Jesus and Jesus alone is the only way to salvation from eternal judgment, People will immediately accuse you of what? Arrogance. They will immediately accuse you of being intolerant. People will immediately try to intimidate you, to make you shrink and and pull back into your hall from which you crawled, and that's how they think. They immediately try to intimidate you, to silence you, or to get you to agree with them. And that's the temptation, especially for timid folks like me. It's a temptation. Only a person who wants to be liked so badly would deny the whole truth. And Paul jumps into this controversy of his day, which is not unlike ours, really. It's not unlike our day, with his whole heart. And he did it both with tact with gentleness, but firmness. Paul said the truth, the whole truth. Are you ready to hear the whole truth? 
Are you ready? Here's what he's saying. He's saying that the commandments were never intended by God to save us from sin. He is saying the Pharisees really misinterpreted. He is, he is saying that the commandments were never intended by God as means of salvation. The Pharisees thought so. The commandments were never intended by God to provide grace and mercy and forgiveness. In fact, the commandments were designed to provide us the basis of damnation, not salvation. And that's what he's saying here. Like the glory of Moses, it was temporary, so was the old covenant is temporary. He is saying the Ten Commandments were meant to reveal the holiness of God, the righteousness of God, and the justice of God. That is why, you see, people don't want to see them displayed in public because it's going to condemn them and it's going to remind them of how miserable sinners they are. So instead of turning to God for salvation, they don't want to see them. That is the role of the Ten Commandments. Now, my beloved friend, I think you will understand this. I've been living in this country for years. I have never once, not once, had somebody come on my door and knocked and said, Dr. Youssef, we want you to know that the federal, state, and local government got together and we found out that you are a law-abiding citizen and we want to give you a gift. <laughs> Has this ever happened to you? <laughs> I have never, ever had a cop on my tail and went after, and I get out. And he said, Dr. Youssef, we've been chasing you all over the city. <laughs> We are so glad you've been driving on the speed limit. <laughs> and now we want to reward you for that. Right. <laughs> I got two miles off of the speed limit, and they're on my tail. Why? Why? Because the law is designed, the law is designed to punish and judge and condemn those who break it. That's what the law is supposed to do. And Paul is saying to his Pharisaic critics, he's saying to them who were saying that the old covenant is still valid, here's what he's saying to them, who's saying that they still can be saved through the old covenant. Paul is saying to them, stop your hypocrisy. My word's not his. But I think I kind of speak a little bit more boldly than he did. <laughs> He's saying to them as if he's saying, look, you know and I know that the law is designed to show us that we are sinners and how sinners we are. You know and I know that the law is designed to bring us to the end of ourselves. You know and I know that the law is supposed to be a constant reminder that we cannot perfectly keep the law Every day, all of it, all the time. Otherwise, Jesus would have left heaven and died on a cross, buried and rose again for nothing. And so the question is, well, what's the role of the Ten Commandments? What's the purpose of the Ten Commandments? And it's a very good question. I'm glad you asked it because I want to answer it. They are supposed to drive you to Christ. Well, I want you to say that with me. They are supposed to drive you to Christ. Let's say it again. They are supposed to drive you to Christ. I hope those words will ring in your ear because I don't want anybody to misunderstand me. 
The reason you are confronted of being a lawbreaker, the reason I'm confronted of being a lawbreaker, can I say to God, oh God, I desperately need you. I need your grace. The Ten Commandments were not designed to save us, but to remind us that we are desperate for God and for His grace and for His mercy. They're supposed to remind us that we need the grace of God for without which we cannot do anything. Hear me right on this one. As long as a person thinks that he or she is good enough for God, they're never going to be saved. As long as a person thinks that he or she doing some good things and those good things are going to get them to heaven, they will never be saved. As long as a person thinks that he or she doesn't really break, you know, all the commandments and very often and all that kind of stuff that you hear in the media, that person will never face reality of their eternal destiny, which is judgment. He or she is lost they will never confront the fact that they are lost and they are desperate and they need salvation and forgiveness. That's the bottom line, folks. And that's what Paul is hammering away here in chapter 3 again and again and again. And he said, until that person recognizes that he's in trouble, he'll continue to be in trouble. Until that person comes and cries to the grace of God, says the Ten Commandments, I can't keep them. God, please. And he would say, welcome, welcome. I'm glad you came to me. My son, his grace is sufficient to forgive you all of your sins, past, present, and future, and take you to heaven. Only then, only then, because he's the only one, Jesus is the only one who kept all of the commandments, all of the time, perfectly. He's the only one who's qualified to forgive you and forgive me and give us His grace. That is the truth. That is the whole truth. And that's nothing but the truth. You know, it would have been easy for the Apostle Paul to keep his mouth shut. It would have been easy for the Apostle Paul to say, Why rock the boat? It would have been easy for the Apostle Paul to say, well, you know, they've, they've got their opinion and I have my opinion. It would have been easy for Paul to say, you know, I know they're not going to agree with me, so why bother? But Paul knew that the fourth secret for positive living is overcoming timidity. And the importance of overcoming timidity rests on two pillars. The power of the message. Not his own power. The power of the message. And the truth of the message. Today, so many people in the media, education system, say we know better than God. God has changed and we need to move along with God. And so many people want to create a God in their own image, a God who responds to every emotion and every whim that they have. They want a God who will do exactly what they tell him to do. I might as well try to kick Mount Everest and think that you're going to hurt it. You know, they really do. Foolishness. The mighty God, the powerful God, the creator God, the redeemer God, the loving God can only be received in humility and bow to, not be told what is good and what is not good. He has a different set of criteria, the Bible said of what is good. His good is always good. 
and it is good for all who love him. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.